thank you everyone for being here today. And Jonathan, thank you for that beautiful music. Uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for another beautiful day of life. We do thank you that the Christmas season is upon us and the day that we celebrate your birthday, Jesus, that you came to earth in the form of flesh. You are God and your Holy Spirit is here with us this morning. And Lord, that you would um, protect the words, guard the words that I speak today from your Bible. And Lord, um, we just want to say we love you, that we want to worship you and honor you with our lives. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. So everybody has a handout, I think. And um, what we're going to look at briefly this morning is Psalm number one from the Bible. And Psalm number one is only six verses. It's very short. But it's a very powerful psalm. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said, this one psalm lays the foundation for the other 149 psalms that are in the Bible. And it's kind of like a text for the, the rest of those messages that God gives to us. And I will read the first six verses of this psalm, and then we'll take a, a closer look at it. And the title of the message this morning is Avoiding Evil Persons. And um, the world is full of evil people. And sometimes, I guess, even us Christians, we do sin. So in some manner of speaking, we also can take on the role of an evil person. So I think God's words can speak to all of us if we have an open mind and an open heart. So Psalm, Psalm number one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So God starts out this verse with, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And in the Hebrew text, this blessed has many, many blessings. It's not just like one form of a blessing. And if you'll notice in this verse, first we have the individual walking, and then he's standing, and then later we see this person sitting. And God is saying, when you're walking in your life, especially when you're young, because that's when many of us make the friendships in our life that we keep all the way through. My best friend I met when I was a teenager. So the people that we take into our lives, into our space, so to speak, they have a big impact upon the way we think, the, the things that we do, and the way we associate with people. And God is saying here, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And the ungodly, really, in today's world, um, they're everywhere. They, they've always been, since the days of Adam and Eve, in Cain and Abel, there have been ungodly people. But it seems like in our society, all of the media embraces the ungodly things of life. And God is saying, stay away from that. 
So when you're walking and you're making your friendships in life, don't embrace people that are ungodly. Then as you go into your life and, and you start to get a little bit older, it, the, the picture is now you're standing. So you're not necessarily looking and making friendships anymore, but now you're standing with them. And God is saying in this verse, nor standing in the way of the sinners. And the way of the sinners leads to death. The way of the godly leads to life. And at some point, as Christians, and we mature in the word, we develop discernment. And that discernment is from the Holy Spirit. And it allows us to choose the things in our life that we allow to come into and to influence us. And then he's saying further on in that verse, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You know, at the point where you're sitting with somebody, you've already embraced them. The people that I sit around with in my life, for example, at dinner, they would be close friends or family. The people that I would sit with in work environments, the people that I'm in business with, the people that when you sit down, it's in a form of a conversation. It's a, it's a, a way of your life where, where you're taking in the conversation and you're allowing these people really to influence you. And God is saying, don't stand in the seat of the scornful. The scornful are people that mock. And people that are scornful, their state is they're always cutting people down. And scornful people, they're just not happy people. So God is saying, don't sit in that seat. You know, if you have an inclination to kind of have that way about you, just get up out of that seat and move to another one. <laughs> you know, but just don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Um, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So God is saying here, let the word dwell richly in you. The word of God is the Bible. It's the Holy Scriptures. And he wants it to permeate our soul. Let it dwell in you richly. And isn't this interesting that the Bible points out Teaching and admonishing. You know, one of the things that's very valuable about the Psalms is that we can take the scriptural truths that God has given to us in these Psalms and we can teach ourselves how to lead godly lives. But it's also interesting that God says we can use this to admonish. Admonish means to correct, to put back on, to, on, on the right track. And in fact... My, my two youngest sons and I went through this psalm about a month ago. And the purpose is, God's word teaches young men, young girls for that matter also, but since my two young, my boys, they're men, going to grow into young men, this is a very valuable psalm for them to take and, and glean the truth from it and put it into their life. James 5.13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Okay, so here God gives us kind of two extremes. He says, are any of you afflicted? Well, affliction can take the form of a physical sickness. It can take the form of an emotional trial in your life. But it also can take the form of spiritual um, affliction, where... You know, the, the Bible says that the, the devil can shoot fiery darts at us. 
And temptation is a form of physical affliction. We don't have to succumb to the temptations, but when we are under a form of affliction, spiritually, emotionally, or physically for that matter, God gives a prescription for us to pray. Okay, so here's an extreme where we're really under some torments and there's trials in our life. God says pray. Now on the other extreme, God is saying in this verse, when you're merry, if is any merry, let him sing psalms. Because over there, you were under affliction. Over here, you're like at the other extreme and you're merry. Hey, let's party. Let's have a good time. And there's nothing wrong with being merry in life. It's when it gets a little out of control that it's a little bit crazy, yes? God says, when you're merry, sing psalms. Why would you sing psalms? Because there's a concrete foundation within God's word that'll take that a little bit of craziness of the, of the merriment in your life and give it some soundness and bring you back. God says be temperate in all things. Temperance is a balance. God always wants us to be in balance in our life and never go to the extreme of being under affliction where we should pray or being a little bit too merry and happy in life and, and come back into it, um, into a, a, a steady state with God. Matthew 23, 28 says, Even so, also that appear outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I heard John MacArthur say once that on Sunday morning, if we came into church, how many of us would like to have all of our thoughts that we had in the previous week played in a, in a movie on the big screen in, in front of all the church members? I don't think any, any of us would want that, right? Because we have bad thoughts. Well, that's a form of hypocrisy. So even though Jesus in this chapter 23 of Matthew is speaking to the Sadducees and the, about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he's really addressing all of us. Get rid of that hypocrisy of sin in your life. And 1 Timothy says, We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. So that's why God gave us the law. The law is the, is the Ten Commandments. The law is, in, is immersed in the Bible. And God says the law is good. It's when we sin and break the law, that's when we fall into sin. And the law, I, I might have given this, this illustration previously, but a plumb line is used in construction. It's just a simple weight hung from a string. But it'll tell you when you put it against the wall, if the wall is out of plumb. And if it's out of plumb, you just put the joist back, and you're, now you've got a straight wall perpendicular to a horizontal plane. And that's what the law does in our life. When we, get, when we sin, we're out of plumb with God's law. And God's law is there to correct us and to show us the right way. You know, to have no other false gods before. Take, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Honor your parents. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. You know all the Ten Commandments. But if we keep those Ten Commandments in our life, our life will be a lot more simple 
and, and easier to live, yes? Because sin is really what binds us and causes so many problems in our life. Uh, let's go to Psalm 1-2. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Do you have a delight in God's law this morning? Really, do you have a delight in his word? It should be one of the first things that we do during our day, is at some point we should be talking to God and then drinking in his word, just reading it, meditating upon it. And it says, in his law does he meditate day and night. Many times we have things that come in our life, we all know what it means to meditate. It's something we cannot get out of our head. On last Monday, my, my daughter, um, my, my oldest daughter, said she had some issues where she was going to take out a life insurance policy and they denied her the, the, the good rate because she had four blood tests that came back with protein in her blood, which indicates there's an issue with, I guess, her kidneys, and she also has some back pains. So all this week I was, like, thinking and praying, you know, God, don't let her have a problem with her kidneys, okay? And the fact that that was in my head all week long, that's something I was meditating upon because that's something that's near and dear to me. And that's the way God wants it with his word. Not, not, not that it's a trauma or a trial or, or something negative. God's word should always be positive and a blessing. But just like we have things that come into our life, emotional or physical problems or maybe um, money problems, whatever they might be, and it consumes our mind, right? We get up in the morning and sometimes we can't get out of our mind. God wants us to have the good things of his word that same way in our life and in our mind. Um, Psalm 48 says, I delight to do the, thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. So here's a verse that says God's law is in our heart. And um, two weeks ago I was down in the Amazon on a missions trip, and even those people in the jungle, they know the Ten Commandments. Because if you were to go in there and steal something from them, they wouldn't know you stole. They wouldn't know thou shalt not steal, but they know you have stole. Same thing if somebody were to murder one of those people in the village. They know murder is bad. So God has his commandments written on our heart. In fact, it, it says that specifically in Hebrews, but this verse here is one that says it. It says um, in, in Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that de delights greatly in his commandments. And those two things kind of go hand in hand. If you fear God, then you're going to, Try not to trespass against his commandments. And the less people have of a fear in God, the more likely they're going to have sinful patterns in their life. Because they're not going to have that fear of God to defile him. And not because God will um, hurt us. I, actually, we're defiling ourselves. We can't defile God. He's perfectly pure. But when we sin, that is defilement. That's breaking of God's law. And... The more you fear God, the less you're going to want to walk in a pattern of sin. Um, Psalm 119.92 says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine own affliction. And really, the wages of sin is death. And unless God's law had been my delight, you cannot have a, a delight for God's law without being saved. Because you're not spiritually discerned until you're saved. But when you're saved then you can have a delight in God's law. And, it, and here this verse is saying, I should have perished in mine affliction if I didn't have a delight. So the, the lost person, they cannot have a delight in God's law 
and they will perish in their affliction because they cannot go to heaven without being saved. And God's word is very clear on that. Um, let's go to Psalm 1-3, and it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So there, are, a, a tree that grows near a river is a very healthy tree. Uh, you don't see big trees growing in the desert. There's, there's a lack of water. And the trees that, if you walk, I used to live in northern Virginia in Sterling, and along the Potomac River, there, were, there was a, a trail that I would walk with my kids. It was three or four miles, and it went to the Great Falls, uh, where there was waterfalls that fell down um, the, the, that national park. And it was beautiful. And along that path, along the river, there were trees that would extend over the water. And they would have trunks that were massive, several feet in diameter. And we could go out there, like I would go out there with my boys, and we'd be jumping on that trunk, and it would move. You could not budge that trunk. It was so massive. And, the, and at the end of the trunk, where the roots went into the ground, you could just they were massive roots, and they would just go down. And it was, it was a tree. This, when I think of this verse, I think of a tree like that. A tree planted by the waters that brings forth his fruit in his season. And we all have seasons to bring forth fruit. And here it says, his leaf shall not wither. There was one year where there was a very bad um, drought all summer long. And from Sterling, Virginia, on that side of the, on the northern Virginia side of the Potomac, you can see Maryland. Maryland's only like maybe a mile across the river. And during that summer, the drought was so bad that literally the water was only up to my waist. Now, I never walked to Maryland across the Potomac, but I could have because the current was hardly at anything at all, and you literally could walk across. But those trees, they never lost their leaves because their roots were so deep, they were still getting moisture from the river. And that, this verse says, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf shall also not wither. That tree is a picture of our life when we're walking with God. God is saying he is the water of life. And he will always give us the nutrients we need in our life. And we can bring forth our fruit in our season. And in our life, we have different seasons. You know that verse in Ecclesiastes, it says, I think I have it on here somewhere. Yes, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. We all have a season in our life. When we're young, we're students. And then like Jonathan, you're probably looking to get married and start a family. And you can follow what your parents have done. They've done a great job raising you boys in, in, in their lives. And then when you have children, then you have a career. And as you advance through your career, you get to retirement age. And then you have grandchildren. On Friday night, my, my son and his wife asked me to babysit Braden for three hours. So just so they could go out for dinner. So that your roles in life change. And then as you go into retirement, most of you in this room, you understand that retirement, the golden years, but these can be your most productive years. This is your season in your life where you're bearing fruit that is pertinent to this season for you. And we have fruits that God wants us to, to have depending on the season of life that we're in. But through each season in your life, be consistent with God. Because God doesn't say, okay, in your student years, you don't need me. <laughs> he, 
he wants you to be, he, he wants to be the central part of your life, depending on, no matter what season you're in. Every season, he wants to be the central part. And it says, uh, whatsoever he does shall prosper. Now, that's a promise from God. If God is first in your life, it doesn't matter what you do, you will prosper. Jeremiah 17, 8 adds some more um, context to this. He says, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat comes. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Just like that tree along the river, its leaves never turned uh, brown and fell off during that drought. Other trees did where they weren't near the water. But along that river, those leaves stayed green all through that, that season. Psalms 92.14, it says, They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. How many of you think that you're getting into your golden years and you're entering into your old age? Anybody in this room? This is a verse you can take to the bank. They shall still bear fruit in old age. God wants every one of you in this room to bear fruit. And it's godly fruit. It's where he wants you to pray for your families. Pray for your friends that are lost. Pray for the needs in your personal life. Pray for the needs of, of other members within your residence here in this community. I'm sure many needs come to your mind, yes? And many of those needs are spiritual. God says they shall bring forth fruit in old age. And some of us can bring forth just a little bit of fruit. And sometimes you see an apple tree where the apples are literally just falling off. That tree is so productive. God wants you to be like that productive tree. And it says they shall be fat and flourishing. <laughs> That's a picture of healthiness and, and vibrancy. God wants that in your life. Even in your old age. You know, Psalm 32, we went over this a few weeks ago, where David says, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long, right? And all of us, our bones are waxing old. But that's no reason not to be productive in God's kingdom. And then Matthew 7, 16 to 20. This, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's so descriptive. It, it says... You shall know them by their fruits. And when you look around and you and, and the people, you know, the, the topic of this is avoiding evil persons, evil people, you will know them by their fruits, yes? And he says, do men gather grapes of thorns of figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Okay? So here we have a picture of a good tree that bears good fruit. Over here we have a bad tree that bears bad fruit. God says you will know them by their fruits. What happens to the bad tree? It's cut down and cast into the fire. If you had a tree that didn't bear fruit, in fact, I had this in my in my own per, my yard this year. 
Um, my, my two boys helped me chainsaw some trees down. I had planted some fruit trees, but because my oak trees are so tall, the sun never allowed them to bear fruit. They just, they just didn't. They didn't get enough sun. So at some point I said, I really need to get rid of these trees. And that's exactly what we did. We cut them down and we put them on a bonfire in the backyard. And in the spiritual world, these are souls that are cast into hell. At the judgment, God will determine the good tree and the bad tree. Now, it's also interesting in here it says the good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Now, bad fruit is a sin, yes? Why would God say the good tree, which is the, the same person, cannot bear bad fruit? Because all of us will readily admit that we're sinners. We have bad thoughts, we have bad attitudes, we sin. So why would God say a good tree cannot bear bad fruit? At the judgment seat of Christ, all of our sins are covered. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed those transgressions from us. So all of the sin that we have done is covered by the, the, by the propitiation. The wrath of God is taken away. So when God looks upon us, as a saved soul, he doesn't see our wickedness. He only sees the righteousness of God. But for the lost, it's not so. No matter how good that lost person was, let's say they worked for 40 years and they saved a million dollars and they took all that million dollars and, and gave it to the poor to feed, feed the hungry. On judgment day, that will not matter one bit with God. Because all of their righteousnesses, God will consider as a filthy rag. And their iniquities, like the wind, will have taken them away into hell. So, where the good person cannot bear bad fruit, the bad person cannot bear good fruit at the judgment seat. That, this is a, a passage that deals with the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat being for the Christians... And the great white throne being for the lost. So let's look at um, Psalm 1-4. The godly are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind driveth away. So here we see a picture of the ungodly. The first three verses of these six verses are dealing with the Christians and what they should do and should not do. This verse is talking specifically about the ungodly. The ungodly is the person who is not saved the person who has rejected Jesus as their personal Savior in their life. And this is the person who has chosen the broad way that leads to destruction. This is the person who will die and lift up their eyes, being in torments and being in hell. It's a very specific person who has rejected Jesus as their God in their life. And it's, it says they are like the chaff. Do we all know what the chaff is? Chaff is the... Is the let's say you had a wheat field. And you brought in the wheat. The chaff is that little outside of the grain that protects it while it's growing. But when it comes to maturity, it really doesn't have any use. And in the Bible times, what they would do is they would find a hill. And they would put a foundation at the top of that hill where the wind would blow. They would bring all the wheat up there. And the farmers would take like a shovel. And they would lift it up. And when it would hit the ground, the chaff would break off of the wheat grain. And they would keep doing that. And the wind would blow that chaff away. 
because it's useless. And the grain would fall down, and that's what they would take and put into the grinding mills to make the bread. And that chaff that blows away, it's useless. There's no good use for it. And what it says here in Psalm 35, 5, and 6, it says, let them be as chaff before the wind. Now, this is the lost person again. Let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. This is really a scary picture. When you read this verse and visualize in your mind what God is allowing to happen here. Let their, dark, their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. Wow. Do you know the angels are the ones who will take the souls and cast them into the, into the hellfire? And here God is saying, let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. When I was along the Amazon River two weeks ago, um, the, the, the river changes its course every time the river floods and then it goes back down. And what they would do is they would carve... Uh, little steps in the in the mud so you could kind of walk up and then sometimes the step would break and they might take a log and put it on the step but the little kids they would be sliding down the the banks because they're kids right they don't care care what happened they don't care if they get dirty it's fun but i was imagining what that would be like walking along that river bank at night and let's say because there's no lights out there there's no and let's say that the sky was cloudy and there was no starlight, and it was just pitch black. That would be a dangerous riverbank to walk along. Not only could you walk and slip down and hurt yourself, but you don't know what kind of things are in the Amazon River to greet you. It's a scary thought. Here God has said, let their way be dark and slippery. You know, the, the person who's lost, they're in darkness. And they, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They don't want to be around God who is light and who has no darkness. The evil person rejects the light of God in their life. And look at the next verse. It says, Psalm 104, 35. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. God will take the wicked out. It's just a matter of time. He allows some people to be wicked their whole life. And we, we see that in some people in, that in our society even today. You think of somebody like um, the guy from Playboy. What's his name? Hugh Hefner. He's like 90 years old, right? He's still alive. I don't think he died yet. But look at the evil God has allowed, that, he, that God has allowed him to live that long and all the evil he's done for all those years. And yet you read about people that are in gangs and they die when they're teenagers. God doesn't allow that Teen, that gang member to go beyond even into his 20s. So God says, let the sinners be consumed and out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Sometimes God allows you to live to be 85 or 90 and sometimes he doesn't even allow you to reach 20. But God has all of us in, on an appointment to, to die and to give an account. God has a, a big calendar and we don't know what the day on that calendar is, but everybody in this room has an appointment on God's calendar where we will die and give an account. And that's kind of a scary thought in itself. Jeremiah 15, 7 says, And I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. 
Now, Jeremiah was talking about the Israelite nation, but this is a picture of all of us. And anybody who rejects Christ, God, it says, I will bereave them of children, I will destroy my people. We're all made in God's image. And yet, God will send the lost into hell, the ones who have rejected his grace and his mercy and his long-suffering. Matthew 3.12 says, Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So remember the picture of where the farmer is lifting up the grains and dropping them, and the chaff breaks loose, and the second time he lifts it up, the wind blows that chaff away. Well, what happens? God says he takes the wheat, which is a saved person, it's a picture of the Christian, and he gathers the wheat into the garner, that's heaven. But he will burn up the chaff. The chaff is the lost person. And he's going to burn with unquenchable fire. That means that fire of hell will never go out. And hell will be tossed into an even hotter lake called the lake of fire. That will be an unquenchable fire that will burn forever and ever. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. You know, we're the first ones. Judgment starts with us. As Christians, we have to fight the sin that's in our life. And by doing that, we are setting an example for the unbelievers. You know, it's a sad testimony as a Christian if we speak and do things that are evil because we're sinners yet. But if the, if the lost person sees my sin and uses that as an excuse not to go to church or not to be saved, I'm going to have some blood on my hands. And God talks about that. Blood on the hands. So the people that I have led through my sin, where they have rejected and hardened their heart to God, some of that will be on me at the judgment seat. And even in that, it's a scary thing. All right, so let's move to Psalm 1.5. It says, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So this is talking about the ungodly, the person who's lost, will not stand in the judgment. Now, this is not the judgment of, like they're going to avoid hell. They're not going to. This is the Bema Seat judgment, where the rewards are handed out. It says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So God is making a very distinct line. The people that are lost and on their way to hell will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. They cannot go to heaven. They will not be part of the rewards at the Bema Seat. Psalm 5.5 says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. So the foolish, the foolish are the people who reject God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The person who rejects God, God says he's a fool. And in fact, he says in, in Psalm 2, he will laugh at their calamity. That's a position we would never want to be in. And if we have love, we have family members that we love, we need to pray for their salvation. Because we don't want God to consider them a fool for, for rejecting him. And it says, God hates all workers of iniquity. That's pretty straightforward. 
You know, a lot of times people misquote the Bible or they take things out of context and they say, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. No, God hates the sinner and he hates the sin. He hates them both. And that's a scary position for the sinner to be in. Right there. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Now remember, as a Christian we can still sin, but we're in God's family. We're under his love. Remember, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So thank, thank you God that through your mercy and long suffering, if I'm a Christian, I don't have to come face to face at the reality of the judgment seat where I will be cast into a fire of hell that I deserve for one sin, let alone the thousands of sins that I've done. And all of us in this room as Christians, we're in the same boat. God is merciful and he's allowing us into heaven despite the evil that we do. Because of his great love that he loves us with. Psalm 37, 37 and 8 says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for that the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. So you can mark the perfect men. You know, we had a passing of one of the greatest saints in our church, um, Dr. Sumner. He died last Monday. And I think he was, what, 94 maybe, 95 or and this man lived a righteous life. He was one of those people that you could mark as a man of God. And his testimony, I mean, he goes all the way back to John, the guy who started the Sword of the Lord, if you're familiar with that magazine. can't remember, John somebody. But anyway, so he dates way back to those great men of God. And he's kind of in that who's who of, of godly men in America for the last half century. Well, he passed and graduated to heaven last Monday. And God says, mark the perfect man. Now, Dr. Sumner, of course he sinned. But God says, mark those people because you can draw things from them as examples in your life. And in fact, two years ago, before my son went to the missions field in, in China, I called up Dr. Sumner and I said, will you go out to lunch with Christian and me? And I want you to just talk to him. And then maybe we can go back to your house and would you pray with us? And he did. And Christian said, I felt like, like um, Jacob, you know, or, you know, like one of Jacob's kids when he was blessing him before he pulled his legs up on his bed and he gave up the ghost, right? That, those are the kind of men that you want to mark your life with. And that's what the Bible's hearing. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. So let's go to the, um, the last verse here, Psalm 1-6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, God knows the way of the righteous. And in fact, he's given us that path. Do you know the way of the righteous? That's really the, be the, the question here. God knows the way of the righteous, and he's given every one of us a preordained path that we should walk on. That's the path of righteousness that God gave us, every one of us. And when we sin, we get off that path, but we can ask God to forgive us and repent and get back on that path. God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The ungodly, there, there's, no, there's nothing good at the end of the day for the ungodly. It's always bad and torment and the lake of fire. And it's kind of a, a very heavy, somber message. But re 
The reality is eternity goes forever. You know, we're all in this life for a short, such a short period. You know, a hundred years or less, yes? And then we will enter into eternity. And once you're in eternity, you can't change the outcome. What you do on this side of the, the portal of death impacts forever on the other side of the portal. So we need to, first off, be saved and then honor God with our life. John 10, 14 says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So God knows his sheep. And if you're a Christian, it says you're, we, he is known of you. And once you know somebody, then you have a relationship with them. And the degree of the relationship you have with somebody is generally a reflection of how much time you spend with them. And the more time you spend with somebody, the closer you know them and the more you know them. And you can think about that with the people here that you reside with. The people you spend a lot of time with, you know them. You know their family. You know when they're hurting. You know when they're hungry. And the same thing with your, with your children. You know them because you spent a lot of time with them. Now, in the spiritual world, are you spending that kind of time with God? Do you know God that well? We should know God more than we even know the people we live with. That's what God wants. Psalm 145.20 says, The Lord preserves all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. And it's not like, <laughs> I'm not trying to like paint this picture of, of God destroying the wicked person. But there's hundreds of verses in the Bible that deal with this subject. And we call Jesus Savior for a reason. Because we need to be saved from hell. That's the message, why, why God came to the earth. That's why he was born a baby on, and we celebrated on Christmas. That's why he had to go to the cross. Because we're all sinners. And God's word is consistent. And it, it brings this theme many, many, many hundreds of times in the scriptures. You need a savior and the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Isaiah 128 says, and the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. They that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. And forsake means when you turn your back on somebody. And God is saying these people are forsaking him. And what that really is making clear is God presents himself to all people that have ever lived. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And the people reject God. The individuals that are on their way to hell are rejecting God. And the ones that are in hell rejected God. They forsook, they forsook the free gift of salvation that God was trying to give them. They rejected it because of their own prejudices, because of their desire to sin more than to have sin in their life more than to have holiness in their life. Second Peter 2.12 says, But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Those are strong words. You know, in our, our society, it seems especially like late night television, all of those comedians, they're all scorners. And one of the ones that is 
one of the most vile, I've seen him on like the, the short YouTube uh, news things, is Bill Maher. He's a professing atheist. I think he's like 60 years old. And he says the most vile things about Jesus. And he will be judged for that. And God says these are like natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. You know, God gives us animals in our life to feed us. You know, when we were there in, in the Amazon in one of the villages on Sunday after the morning services, they um, butchered, I don't know, probably 100 chickens. And they roasted them on a fire. And that chicken was made to be destroyed so we could eat it. But in the spiritual world, God is saying the unbeliever is a natural brute beast made to be taken and destroyed because they speak evil of the things they understand not. You know, Bill Maher is speaking evil of the things he understands not. He just doesn't get it because he's not spiritually discerned. And he will utterly perish in his own corruption. Revelation 20, 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? That's the question. Is your name in the book of life? Because this verse says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that's after the great white throne. The lake of fire is the final eternal resting, well, not resting place, but a home of the unbeliever, the lost soul. And at that point, their body is reunited with them. In hell, it's only the soul. The body's in the grave. But at the great white throne, John said, and I saw them stand before God, and the graves were open. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then the last verse that we'll look at today is Revelation 21.8. This gives us a listing of some of the people who will be found in, in the lake of fire. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The first death is when your body physically dies. The second death is only for the lost, for the unbeliever, for the person who has rejected Jesus as their Savior. They will be cast into the lake of fire, and that is the second death. So uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that your word is crystal clear about what you have given us, what you command us to do, and what your free gift is of salvation. And Lord, you make it very clear there are two paths to go on. There's the broad way that leads to destruction, and there's, there's the narrow way that leads to life. And Lord, my prayer this morning would be that if there's a soul in this room who has not yet received you as God and Lord and Savior and Redeemer, that today would be the day. And Lord, I'm speaking mostly to Christians in this room, and Lord, that we would love you more. And Lord, my prayer is that you would just mold me to make me love you more. You can do all things, Lord. And for the lost in our families, in our friends, who have not yet received you, we pray that one day they would come to a saving knowledge. And Jesus, you died on the cross for all of us. Whosoever will can be saved.
And Jesus, we thank you that you did die on the cross, that you rose from the get grave on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, and you proved you were God by your holiness, and that your Holy Spirit would guide us this week, that you would consume any evil in our lives, protect us from the evil one, and Lord, that um, our lives would be more honoring and more glorifying to your name, to your, for your kingdom. And we love you, God. Amen.